for our worship team. Yes. Amen. They do a great job. Great job. Very, very grateful for them as they lead us in worship. They're not up here putting on a show or performance. They are leading us in worship. Uh, as, we, as we prepare, uh, as they're going down and, and we're getting settled, I want you to turn. You, you can mark a couple of places in your scriptures. You can turn to, turn to Genesis chapter 22. Mark that place. You can mark Proverbs chapter 22. We'll, we'll be in there. We're going to be all over the place, really, but those are a couple of verses that uh, we're going to spend a little time in Genesis, and uh, you can go ahead and turn there. There's a couple of things I want to mention before we get started. Um, continue to pray for Holly Lobel's dad, Tim. He had triple bypass surgery last Monday. That everything, so, as, unless something has changed over the weekend that I haven't heard, he's done really, really well and may go home. Uh, when I text you yesterday, may go home to, to, today. Today or tomorrow, so praise the Lord for that. He was, he was doing real well. Marilyn Viles was in the hospital this week. She went home Friday, wasn't it? Yeah, I, the last two days ran together. So I think it was Friday uh, that I got a text from Catherine that she was home. Miss Gail, you're having surgery tomorrow, is that correct? Is that tomorrow? It's on Thursday. Okay, so it's the okay. I got you. So her her procedure will be some some back a back procedure. On Thursday. Okay. And then Fred Williams is homesick. Fred, it's unusual for Fred to be home. So when, when Fred's not here, you know he's sick. So Fred is sick this morning. So we want to, y'all remember him in prayer uh, also. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's get started here. The, the topic this morning is this. It's giving our children back to God. And, and that's definitely what we should do. Amen. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever, have you ever given your children back to God? Now, some of you are thinking, um, I'd like to give them back to God. Uh, but, but, I, but, I, but I didn't think that, that he'd take them back. And, uh, you know, I thought God had a no return policy on kids. And besides that, I lost the receipt. I don't, I don't have it. So some of you may wonder that. But the truth is, there's probably not a parent in here that hasn't, you know, at one time or another, wanted to package up that kid or those kids and take them back to the Lord's customer service counter and demand a refund. We've probably had those times. As much as we love them, uh, there's been some times you just go, man. Uh, one lady who had five kids, she was asked if she would do it all over again. And her reply was this. She said, absolutely I would, but not with the same five. <laughs> so so there's, a, you know, there's a thing about parenting. There's, it's the, it's the, you know, I, I don't know which branch of the military was. Maybe it was the Marines that used to say it's the toughest job you'll ever love. Toughest job you ever love. I think parenting is the toughest job you ever love. Amen. And it is. It's a tough job. So I'm not suggesting you return your kids to God and try to get a refund. What I'm asking you when I ask that question, have you ever given your children back to God, is this. Uh, is, is have you ever really recognized your children as a precious gift from the Lord and acknowledged that they belong ultimately to Him and not to you? Have you ever done that? Have you ever released ownership of your children to Him? Understanding that God is responsible for the way in which they have been uh, designed and that He has a plan and a purpose for their life. Have you done that? Have you released ownership back to Him? And have you realized that God has placed the responsibility on you as their parent to show them His way? That's your responsibility, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's open with a word of prayer. I thank Pastor Evan for praying, but I want us to, again, turn our hearts to the Lord here. Father, I just pray that you'll bless in this message this morning. Lord, obviously, there's no way to be exhaustive in this study, and so I'm going to highlight some things this morning that I, I hope will help each of our families that are coming to dedicate children this morning. 
But Lord, for each one of us, if, if, even myself with grown children, uh, the things that I've studied this week are helpful for me. And they'll be helpful for my children as they have children. Uh, and as I will become a grandparent in the days to come, uh, Lord willing, that these things will help me. So, Lord, I pray that uh, for each one of us that we'll engage this morning and we'll listen and, and, and receive from you, from the truths of your word, things that will help us uh, either, either help us be a better parent or help someone else be a better parent. So, God, I just pray that you'll bless in this time now and uh, use it for your honor and your glory. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now, when we talk about these dedications, giving your children back to the Lord, there's some biblical examples. And in the Bible, there are many examples of parents who did this. Hannah gave Samuel back to the Lord, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 27. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. She, she asked the Lord to give her a, a child. God gave her a child and she honored the commitment she made to give that child back to the Lord. And she literally gave him back to the Lord and he served the Lord all the days of his life. Mary and Joseph brought the infant Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Luke 2.22 says, Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. They presented him back to the Lord. And so uh, those are great examples, but the example of a parent surrendering his child to God that I want us to read about today is the story of Abraham with Isaac, and that's found in chapter uh, 22 of Genesis. So you, you should already be there, and I'm just going to read the first 13 verses. I want you to just listen. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these passages, but I want you to, 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 to hear and grasp what Abraham did. Verse 1, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the, uh, of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. Now, I've always found that phrase right there very fascinating. And, and, and it's, it's, it's convicting and encouraging. When you hear what God in verse 2 asked Abraham to do, and you see in verse 3, Abraham didn't go have community conversation. He didn't go seek anyone's counsel. He didn't fast for a week to find out, did I really hear from God? He heard from God, and it says, so Abraham rose early in the morning. He didn't sleep late, thinking he might get a different word. He didn't linger around. He didn't dilly-dally. He didn't, he didn't waste time. He got up early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which, which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Now, that's another interesting verse because Abraham is all in to go and offer his son to the Lord, to, to offer Isaac as a burnt offering. That means he's going to have to kill his son on an altar and burn his body as, a, as, a, as an offering back to the Lord. And it's interesting what he says here because I don't think Abraham was a liar. I don't think Abraham was a man whose character would stand, would, would even with his, these two young men, would, would tell them a lie. He didn't have to tell them anything right here. He could just stay here with the donkey. But he says, stay here with the donkey and the lad and I will go yonder and worship. And they were going to go and worship. They truly were going to go and worship. And we will come back to you. He didn't say, I'll come back to you. 
He said, we will come back to you. Now understand, Abraham didn't have plans of going up there and faking this whole thing before God and then coming back with, with Isaac. He had every intention of offering Isaac. And we know from other scriptures that, that Abraham, by faith, believed that if he followed the Lord, if he obeyed the Lord in this, because he knew the promises that God had made for Isaac. He knew those promises. And he knew if he, if he slayed Isaac, if he was obedient and slaying him and offering him as a burnt offering, that God would have to raise him back from the dead. That's, you see the faith of Abraham right here. He believed, I, I believe that's exactly what he believed. If I do this and I'm going to obey what God said, God has promised to do this through Isaac. So if Isaac's dead, he can't keep his word. God is a God of keeping his word. So God will have to raise him up from the dead. I, Abraham walked by faith, trusting God and trusting his word. Verse 6 says, So Abraham took the wood of the, burnt, for the, of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, where, uh, Here am I, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. And a beautiful picture here of what Jesus did, uh, what God did for us in providing the lamb for the sacrifice, for the offering. He offered his son Jesus, his only son. He did offer a lamb. He offered the lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took his knife to slay him. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. God provided the, the sacrifice. God provided and he provided for us in, in his son, Jesus Christ. Now listen, what I want you to get from that is this. Abraham literally and totally and irrevocably gave Isaac back to the Lord. I, I, I believe is, you know, you read in color and, and the, 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 this, the, the, this is the first message ever preached. First time I ever preached, 1997. I think it was March of 1997, and I had an opportunity to preach. And I preached from this passage. And, and, and studying that out, I really believe that, that, that Abraham came to a point you know, there's a point where if you're going to go skydiving, there's a point where you can't back out, right? I mean, there, there comes a point. There's a point up until you're out of that plane that you can decide, oh, no, 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 I'm not doing this. But at some point, there is a point you cross over where there is no getting back in the plane. You're gone. This is, it. this is it. And I believe Abraham really came to that point where he was to the point of bringing, maybe even bringing the knife down and God stopped him. Maybe even supernaturally stopped him there. Um, but Abraham was fully committed to this. Folks, he literally and totally and irrevocably gave Isaac back to God. But can't you imagine how hard and painful that had to be for Abraham? You imagine if you're a parent and, and God asked you to do that? You know, Abraham loved Isaac. Verse 2, uh, God uh, says here, take, God says, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. God even saw the love that, that he, he saw that. He knew the love that, that Abraham had for Isaac. Abraham had a great love for Isaac. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering. Now Isaac, Abraham's love for Isaac was, was amazing because Abraham, uh, Isaac was a, a miracle child. 
I mean, he, he was the miracle baby. Sarah was 90 years old. Abraham was 100 when, when Isaac was born. He is a miracle baby. He's a baby that had been promised for years and years and years. And Abraham had trusted and believed by faith that God would provide. And he did in those latter days. It was, it was, it was, he's a miracle child. And he is, he is this, this child of faith. And, uh, you know, just put yourself in Abraham's place. You know, it's, it's unimaginably painful for Abraham to bind his beloved son, to place him on that altar, on that stack of wood, and to raise the knife to slay him, and knowing that when he's dead, they'd light fire to the wood and cremate the body, and he would have to stand there and smell the, the, the stench of his own son burning, his body burning uh, of his flesh. You can understand how painful that would have been for Abraham. You know, I don't know if that I could ever, I don't, I don't know that I could do that. You know, we talk about that, but, but let me say this, in a very real sense, I knew, I knew that I must do that with both of my children. Now, while I didn't have to place them on an altar, I knew, I knew that I had to give them back to God. And in every, as real as, as them being slayed on an altar there, to give them back to God and to trust Him with them. And we made that decision long ago with our children. The day they were born, we offered them back to the Lord. We went through these baby dedication ceremonies of giving them back to the Lord. And every day it becomes, it becomes a thing of making sure that I have given them to the Lord and I don't try to take them back. They're His. And my job is to raise these children up that they might come to faith in Christ. But they are His children. And Abraham understood that and we need to understand that. You know, the best thing that Abraham ever did for Isaac was to tie him to that altar and just surrender him back to God. It's the best thing he ever did. If Abraham had gotten out of the will of God right there, there's no telling the influence he would have had in, in leading Isaac in the wrong way. He led him in the right way. So what Abraham did when he offered Isaac to the Lord is this. He, Abraham conf, was confirming his love and fear of Jehovah. He obediently said, God, I love my son, but I love you more. And if you've told me to do this, he confirmed his love and his fear of Jehovah. He was clarifying that Isaac really belonged to God. He is God's child. He is God's son. He gave him to me. And if he wants him back, if that's what God wants, then I'm going I'm I'm to do that. He is God's. He was clarifying that. He was committing to be a godly parent. We go, well, how's that being godly? He's going to slay his son. He's being godly because he's doing what God told him to do. Sometimes we, we miss this. We think, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a good parent. And, and we, get, we get soft or we, or we allow things that are not, we're not being a godly parent. Because we're not walking in God's uh, will in some things. And that's not being a godly parent. So being a godly parent is parenting by God's plan, not our plans. Amen? Amen. And, it's, and it's parenting by, by God's plan and not the child's plans. Amen? There are a lot of children that have got mom and dad just wrapped around their finger, you know, to the point the kid just rules the roost. They learn that early. Amen? Amen. They do. You don't have to teach them that. They'll, they'll. The other thing Abraham did is he was claiming God's plan and promises for Isaac. So this child dedication service that we're doing today, it's not really a dedication of the kids. It's a dedication of the parents. That's what this is about. And church, I'm also challenging you, and I told the, the, the parents this morning we met for a moment, and I shared with them that I'm going to challenge you in a little bit. And as you watch these parents, they come before you, they're committing, they're dedicating themselves to raise these children in church and to raise them in a godly way and to raise them in a way that's going to bring these children. Our hope and prayer is those kids will all come to faith in Christ. 
But I'm also challenging you because as a congregation, we are all part of the body of Christ. Amen. Amen. And it is our job to help hold each other accountable. Look, if I get out of line, there are folks here going to hold me accountable. They're going to say, preacher, that, you shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't act that way. Whatever. They're going to hold, they're going, they're going to hold me accountable. We all got to hold each other accountable. And these parents want to be held accountable. And you, you're going to see who's up here. And when you see that they ain't been in church in a week or two or three, you need to give them a call. Where you at? I saw the commitments you made. You can't raise your children in church if you ain't in church. Okay? You can't raise them up in the, fear, in the nurture and admission of the Lord if you're getting away from the Lord. So we've got to help these parents. We want to encourage them. We want to, we want to lift them up. We want to put wind in their sails. And we want to hold them accountable. Amen? Amen. Or oh me. Some parents are going, oh me. No. Everybody's, everybody's amen this morning. So this isn't infant baptism. This is, it's, again, it's just a, it's a parent dedication to commit to doing all that we can to ensure that this child comes to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's the desire of this service. Uh, and so let me ask this. As a parent, all of you, I'm asking everybody this morning, are you stacking up things in, in your child's life? Are you stacking up things that are going to help them come to faith? Or are you stacking up things that are going to hinder them coming to faith? And as I was, I was reading this again this morning, and I thought, boy, I'd love to show that in a picture. And I wish I had thought of it earlier. But I have this picture. As you start stacking things up, you know, and say your, your, your kid's with you, you know, you can pile up some blocks that create stairs, right? So you, you, maybe you're, you're, you're creating some blocks. You're stacking up things in their life that will help them get to the Lord. Does that make sense? You see that, the stairs? But what if you turn that block around, the stairs around? And they come up from this side. Here's your kid here, but you turn it around. Now you've built a wall. You know, you can do things. There are things in the way that we live our lives and the things that we do that, that are building blocks. They're blocks to help our children come to faith in Christ, to help them go the right way, to help them do the right things. But we can, put, we can, we can lay down blocks and do things that create walls that really hinder them from coming to faith more than help them come to faith. Does that make sense? That's what we want to hinder. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, our primary task as parents is to prepare our sons and daughters to walk according to God's plan, God's will, and God's purpose for their lives. It is the responsibility of parents and grandparents to instill in their children and their grandchildren an unshakable faith that will guide them throughout life and protect them from the attacks on the, uh, from the world and Satan. Now, Paul commended Timothy's genuine and sincere faith instilled in him by his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. His parents, his, his mother and his grandmother in particular, women of faith, they instilled in him that faith. They led him that way. They modeled those things. And Timothy came to, came to a genuine and a sincere saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me share with you three steps to help prepare uh, or to give proper training to your children as you give them back to God. Three things we're going to look at this morning. Number one is we want to whet. I always thought it was whet their appetite. Anybody think that? Wet their, it's really not wet their appetite. It's wet. It's wet their appetite for the things of God. We want to we get, them, get them interested in the things of God. Proverbs 22, 6 says, again, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, this verse is often used, a lot of people use this like a lucky rabbit's foot. They do. They think, well, if you raise up your child in church... You, you just bring them to church every chance you get. You just bring them up in church. Then, then they're going to they're gonna turn out good. And, 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 and listen, 
there are, there are godly parents who did everything right and their kids went crazy. Kids are away from the Lord. They're in rebellion from the Lord. They don't want anything to do with the Lord. And so this is, this is not, we misread the verse. And let me say this, when reality doesn't match up with Scripture, Scripture is never wrong. Okay, so train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Oh, that means if I bring my kids up in church, man, even if they go astray for a little while, they'll come back. It's not what the verse means. Because we've, we've all seen situations where that's not the case. That's not, that's not what has happened. And so when reality and the scriptures don't match, it's not the scripture that's wrong. It's, it's the way we're interpreting the scripture that's wrong. So let's just, we're going to look at a little bit of this. Train up, the word there, train up. The idea there, the Hebrew word, Hebrew word for train up is chalnok. And it's actually used to describe the palate of the mouth. And so one commentator said that the writer of Proverbs was creating a word picture for his readers. And he said, so when Solomon wrote this, at that time, a Hebrew midwife, after having delivered a baby, would have dipped her finger into a paste made of dates and then rubbed it onto the gums of the new babies under their palate, under their mouth. And what that did is that action would cause the baby to be hungry for more. And it triggered his desire to suck. So, 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 you know, also back then they didn't have, you know, they didn't have Gerber baby food back then. They didn't have those things. So it wasn't like they could just go and get, what was it Jesse always ate? What did he like so much? Sweet potatoes. Jesse had an orange nose. He ate so many sweet potatoes that his, orange, his nose actually turned orange. His, his complexion was a little orange. Thanks, Dad. Thanks for telling that. So he, they didn't have Gerber baby food. So young mothers used to chew up the food and they'd take a little bit of that and they'd, they'd rub that in the mouth of the child and it gave them and it helped them to acquire a taste for the things of that. Whatever their cultural foods were, it gave them a taste for that and instilled in that. So you want to whet the appetite for, for, for those certain things. So several things to look at in this. How do we do that? A, you feed them the word of God. You feed your children the word of God. First Peter chapter two, verse one through three says, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now this is telling us we need to quit being babes. We need to grow and develop, but this is telling us also we need to teach our children to love the word of God. We need to expose them to the word of God. And so read your children Bible stories as often as you can. Read them Bible stories, children's Bible stories. Read that to them. As they get older, read the Bible to them. Just read from the Word of God. People go, oh, well, they won't understand it. Well, you may not understand it, but you know what? Read it. Read it. Trust the Holy Spirit of God who is the greatest teacher. Trust the Holy Spirit to teach. And so as you read the Bible to them, explain what the Bible is. Help them to understand that this is the Word of God. God gave us this to tell us how to live our lives. It told us how to come back into relationship with Him. It tells us who we are and what we are. And it exposes our need for salvation. Teach them the Word of God. Help them to understand what the Bible is. Explain who God the Father is, who Jesus the Son is, and who, who the Holy Spirit is. Explain those things to your children. Allow them to ask any questions they have about the Bible. And answer the questions the best you can. Don't make up stuff. So, when I was years ago, I worked at UPS. 
I was still in college and I got a promotion to a part-time supervisor. Some of the best advice I ever got. He said, he said, listen, when you put that tie on, and we had to wear a tie on the dock. I thought it was stupid. We're around moving belts and all that stuff. We had to wear a tie. So he said, when you put that tie on, people are going to think you have all the answers. And they're going to ask you things that you don't know. He said, don't ever answer a question you don't know. He said, here's the answer. I don't know, but I'll find out and get back to you. And then he said, you go find out and you get back to them. That's, a, that's great advice. It's one of those things that hit me in life, and I went, wow, that's good, and I've never forgotten that. Parents, you got to do the same thing. Kid asks you, your kid asks you something you don't know, don't make something up. Don't lie to them because you think you, uh, they, i got to give them an answer. They'll think I don't know. Well, if you don't know, it's okay not to know, right? But, but go and get the answer, and then come back and explain it to them. Help them to understand. Do not lie to your kids. Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 and 7 says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You're to teach the Word of God. Feed your kids the Word of God. Develop the appetite for the Word of God in your children from a very young age. Uh, B, take them to God's house. Amen? Amen? All right, I'm preaching the choir this morning. Uh, the ones that aren't here, maybe the, they might be the ones that needed to hear it this morning. I hope they'll go back and listen. Listen, bring your children to church with you. We're, we're, we've gone through some stages through the years. Years ago, bus ministries um, did well. But here's the thing. Parents, years ago, wanted their kids to be in church. So you know what they did? They took them to church. They might not even want to be themselves, but they go, I want my kid in church. I want them to hear, hear that. I want them to, even though they knew they weren't where they needed to be, they would take their kids to church. Then we went through a season where parents said, I want my kids in church. I ain't going. But they'd send them. They'd put them on a bus. Bus ministries thrived in the 80s and, and the 90s. Bus ministries were, I mean, just booming because parents would send their, they'd make sure their kids got up on Sunday morning. They'd send them out to get on a bus coming by to pick them up to go to church. They'd do that. But we're in a thing now where parents don't want to go to church and they don't care whether their kids go to church or not. And a lot of them aren't making any effort. <laughs> Folks, if, we, if, if, if there's a connection for us as Christians, we need to be in church. And bring your kids to church. Enroll them in Sunday school. Talk with them about what they learned in class. Ask them if they have any questions about the lesson. Help them to understand what it is that they were, they were learning, what they were hearing. Hebrews 10, 25 says, not forsaking. And that word forsaking means neglecting. Neglecting. Not neglecting, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Some would take that and go, well, you know, that, that kind of means that I just give up on church all the way and walk away. No, it's not really what it means. We as believers, this neglecting of church means I put other stuff first. I put other things ahead of it. Church becomes a non-priority. Hey, if it's convenient, I'll go to church. But if it's not, if I got something else, yeah, I'll do that. And, and that's what this is talking about, not neglecting the assembling of ourselves together. Is this important, people? Yes. This is important that we're here. Man, it doesn't take any time. You take a hot coal, you can be, it can be all fired up in the middle of the fire. Anybody ever roasted a pig? Come on. I, I, know, I, know, I, know, I knew I'd have a hand over there. Who else? Raise a hand. All right, so when, when you roast a pig... You know, you don't just light a fire under the pig, right? You light a fire over here and you take the coals and you put the coals under the pig. I've never done it, but I've seen it. I've, I've, as a kid, I remember we stayed up all night roasting a pig. I thought that thing's never going to be ready to eat. 
But you take those coals. But here's what happens with a fire. And, and you've all seen a fire burning hot red coals. You take one of those coals out and set it aside. How long is it going to stay red hot? Not long at all. It'll, it'll, the red will fade out. And then next thing you know, it'll be black. and It won't be long. It'll be cold. That coal that was so hot because it was in with the others. They feed on each other. Folks, we do the same thing. Man, all it takes is me getting out of church for a few weeks, and I'd feel the slide. It it would happen. We need to be in church, not the forsaking or neglecting the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, exhorting one another. That's where we as the body, again, you should look around. Hey, I didn't see so-and-so this week. Give them a call. Write them a card. Send them a text. Say, I missed you this morning. Hope all's well. If they're going a second week, go visit them. What's going on? We missed you. Is everything okay? Exhorting one another. And so much the more as we see the day approaching. Show them the importance of church attendance by your own, listen, regular, faithful, consistent attendance. We want kids to grow up and love the Lord and be faithful to church. If I'm not faithful to church, as I'm bringing my kids up, what's the chances that my kids are going to be faithful in church? It's a slim chance. Show them what's valuable. Show them what is important. And it will be valuable and important to them. You know, I've seen things, a lot of parents post things and and contrary to, you know, to culture today, the things that are pulling on kids in culture. Um, Folks, we we have a culture in, in church that of what we accept in that area of pulling our kids away from church. You know, sports today has become an idol. And, and, and if you, you, some aren't going to like this. Sports is an idol. And we put it up, it's so important. It's so important. We'll miss church for it. Weeks on end, months on ends. We had a family in Indiana, travel ball. They were gone half the year. Half the year. And their daughter went to college, full ride scholarship, played one year, gave it up. She was sick of ball. All that sacrifice of being in church. And as far as I know today, she's not faithful to church. Because for all those formative years, church was not the priority. Sports can be an idol. And it can pull us away from what God would have us do. Camping can be an idol. Fishing, that's a great day to go out and go fishing. I gotta, I'm going to get on the boat, get on the river. I'll go to church next week. Hunting, uh, y'all going to run me out of church. See, I'm, I'm, all over, I'm all over y'all. I'm all in you. Preacher, now you're getting in our business. Hunting, boating, sleeping, even work. You know, we put work, we make work a priority over being in the house of God. It's, it's a couple hours a week. It's making a commitment that I'm going to be in the house of God. Is it, is it, I, it, it preacher, it's just about your ego. You want everybody here because what you've got to say is so important. What I have to say is not important, but what God has to say through his word is. Amen. And we need to be here. And so, parents, I encourage you, make sure your kids are in church Make it a priority and important. and you, It's the high priority. My kids growing up, they never asked, are we going to church tomorrow? Never. I mean, maybe, well, I, I don't say never. Maybe early on, 
But they got to a point where they knew, we go to church Sunday morning. We go to church Sunday night. We go to church Wednesday night. That's what we do. They didn't come and say, hey, can I go to so-and-so's house? We're not going to church on Sunday. But can I? No, no, no. They, didn't, they knew not to do that because we're going to be in church on Sunday morning. So if, if church attendance is not a priority for you, it's not a top priority for you, it certainly won't be for them. All right. I think I've shucked it enough right there. C, pray with your children. Parents, pray with your children. First Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Pray for them. Pray with them. Okay? Teach them to pray. Explain that they can talk to God anytime, anywhere through prayer. Help them to understand what they're doing when they pray and how to do it. The reason we have so many folks today who don't want to pray publicly is they never learned to pray when they were kids. They never learned to pray coming up. One of the best things, I, was, I told you I was a shy kid. I'm a shy adult. Y'all laugh at that. I know people go, hey, no, pfft, you're crazy. I am. I'm a very reserved person. I really am. Went to an event last night, 250 people there, and I just want to find a corner to sit in and just find me and Gina sit in the corner and watch everybody. That's what I want to do, but, but I can't do that, okay? Um, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> oh, one of the best things that helped me when I was a teenager, I'm 14 years old, 15 years old, just, just to have come to faith. And, and we would take the offering, the old, you know, the old, the, how we used to back in the old, old, old days where we had a plate that we passed around. <laughs> we, don't do, we don't do that anymore. We used to do that until COVID came along. Um, but we'd do the offering and we'd have four ushers come down. And they'd stand down front and the preacher would call on one of those ushers to pray. Well, the guy who was kind of over the ushers recruited me as a 14, 15-year-old to come in and help with that. So I can remember going down there and I'd be like this. I'd, I'd be... Because if, if I ain't looking at him, he can't see me. And you know what he did? He called on me to pray. And you know what I did? I learned to pray. Learned to pray. And you learn that I'm talking to God. I'm not talking to you folks. I'm talking to God. So we can do it. Teach your kids how to pray. So they won't be scared to death of praying. It's the greatest thing that you can do for your kids is to pray for your kids. So one of the greatest things you can do is to pray with your kids. Uh, it's certainly a great, great expression of your love for them. I don't know of a better way to show your love for your kids or your grandkids than to pray for them. Pray for their protection. Pray for their salvation. D, make your home a holy place. Amen? Amen. Your home ought to be a holy place. It shouldn't, be, shouldn't contrast with what, what we're doing here. It shouldn't be like, oh boy, this is night and day difference. Um, put away worldliness. Put away sinful and even questionable things. Put those things away. Let them see you read your Bible. Let your kids see you read your Bible. Let them see you read it. Let them hear you pray. Let them hear you talk of the Lord and the things of God. Make your home a holy place. Uh, e, live a righteous life. I think, I think some people see this baby dedication, this child dedication as a magical ceremony that I'll do this, I'll present my kids to the Lord, and, and the Lord will take care of them now, and, and they'll get saved because I go through this. Let me tell you this. This ceremony this morning means absolutely nothing. It means zero. It means zilch unless you are making a sincere, lifelong commitment to raise your children God's way. And that's what, that's what our parents are doing this morning, 
That's what every parent in, in this congregation ought to be doing is, is making that commitment. I, I love what Joshua said when he told the children of Israel that, they, that as they settled into their, the new land there in the promised land in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 and 15, he says this is, Now therefore fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve, serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which uh, your, father serve, uh, your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Am Amorites or in whose land you dwell. But as for me, here's what Joshua said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We'll serve the Lord. I, I want my family to, 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 to uh, uh, my, my attitude would be this. I want my family to turn out right, so I'm going to lead them right. I mean, we, we don't lead them right, and we want them to turn out right. If I want them to turn out right, then I'm going to lead them right. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Man, I tell you, that's the kind of, of words your family wants to hear. The men in here, your wife wants to hear that. Your wife, you want, you want a great relationship with your wife, you lead your wife in your relationship with Christ. Man, that, amen. Good. I love it. That's the truth. Lead your family. Men lead. Problem we have in the church today, men quit leading. Won't complain about women leading in the church. Well, what were they to do? Men weren't leading. It's our job to lead. It's my job to lead my home. My wife wants me to lead her. She don't want to be wondering what's going on. Lead. No ifs, no ands, no buts. We will serve the Lord with me as the leader. I'm the leader, and I'm the example. And if I'm not going to do it, who is? That's the kind of commitment that God's looking for from parents today. Lead your families. Now, sometimes children don't have an appetite for the Word of God or prayer or the things of God because they've been eating the wrong things. And that brings us to point two, because we need to set some boundaries and expectations. Okay, you need to set boundaries and expectations with your kids. Too many parents today have this attitude is, is I won't force my, my views on my children. I, I believe in letting them decide for themselves. Um, forgive me for saying this. Please forgive me, parents, for saying this, but that's stupid. Preacher, you shouldn't use that word. I tell my kids, kids, don't say that. If mom and dad say don't say that word, you shouldn't say that word. But I'm telling you, that attitude is stupid. It is. It's, it's idiotic to say, well, I'm going to just let them float around out there and find their own thing. I would say this. If you're a Christian, if you're a, if you're a professing Christian and that's your attitude, I don't know what you got to hold to. Because no really born-again believer is going to say, ah, I want my kids just to find whatever makes them happy. That's not what your attitude is going to be. I found Jesus. I want my kids to find Jesus. I want them to know the Lord. So we want to teach them that way. So one of the greatest ways that we can love our children is, listen to this now, is to discipline our children. Oh, me, Raymond. I've heard some stories about you with your children. I've heard some stories about Raymond at times just going, all right, boys, get in the truck. We're going home. Not, not yanking them up there in front of everybody, not screaming at them in front of everybody, just, boys, get in the truck. We're going home. I don't remember who was telling me that, but they were telling me about Raymond and his boys and how they've turned out, they've turned out good. But it, takes, it takes discipline 
takes discipline. And I guarantee you those boys were going, people of God, pray, pray. <laughs> Best thing you can do for your kids, your grandkids is discipline them. And, and here's the other thing is let God discipline you. When God disciplines you, when you're, out of, when you're out of sorts with him and he disciplines you, receive it. Receive it and respond to it. Let God work in your life. Proverbs 13, preacher, that's not in there. God doesn't tell us to, do, to, to discipline our children. God doesn't tell us, oh, well, let's read a few, let's see. I don't know. Maybe you're right. Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares his rod hates his son. You hear that? He who spares his rod hates his son. And what that says, it doesn't say that you've got to beat your children, but it says if you don't discipline your children, you don't love your children. You hate your son. You spare the rod of discipline, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. Listen, I'm still God's child. Sometimes foolishness is bound up in my heart, and sometimes the Lord has to get, get the rod out on me, and, and he gets it out of me. Proverbs 23, 13, do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. <laughs> I love that verse. <laughs> Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And then, then uh, you know, so again, just say this, look, discipline is not about beating your child. It's not about abuse, physical, it's, a, it's discipline, okay? And uh, a lot of people don't believe in spanking. I got two beatings in my life. I didn't get two spankings. I got two beatings in my life. Beatings. That's all it took. It's all it took. Straighten me out. I'm not advising it. I'm just telling you. It didn't break me. It didn't kill me. Uh, it, it helped me. Discipline is important. Hebrews 12, 6. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Who did it say he scourges? Every son whom he receives. That says the Lord disciplines us. He uses discipline in our lives. He, he, he chastens us. He scourges us. Study out that word scourges. That's not a minor, that's not time out, folks. That's not what scourges is. It's not time out. So the Lord loves us and he corrects us and it's important that we correct our children. Uh, do I even have to say that children aren't necessarily the best judges of what is, what is or what isn't best for them in the long run? Do I have to say that? Uh, if, we, if we allowed, uh, if, if they were allowed to, they would make their own choices. If we allowed them to do that, they would never brush their teeth, they'd never take a bath, never eat their veggies. See, so nobody made Aaron eat his veggies as a kid, and, and, and so he stuck to that. They'd never eat their veggies, needed some better parenting there, I guess, somebody... Uh, they'd never attend school and they wouldn't go to church. The kids wouldn't do any of those things. That's not fun. I don't like that. That's, so we need to set boundaries and expectations for our children. Again, Proverbs, again, the verse, train up a child in the way he should go, the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Matthew Henry said, train children not in the way they would go, that of their own corrupt hearts, but in the way they should go, in which if you love them, you would have them go. That's what we're to do. We're to raise them up in the way that they should go. In our society, it's a parent's responsibility and duty to, and role uh, that they, they take on when they decide to have children. That's our, that's our responsibility to raise these children. It's the responsibility is to keep them safe, to house them, to close them, to feed them, and educate them. At some, folks, at some point, folks, we have to turn them loose. Amen? 
Amen. At what age should, at, I mean, it's 18, right? <clears throat> I'm sorry. I got a 19-year-old back there. I'm just trying to make a point here. <laughs> until they're 18, you know, we're, it really is. Until that point, we're responsible for them. It's our responsibility. And then, you know, at 18, they can go and they can do their own thing. They make their own decisions. Our job is to, to try to ensure that when they turn 18 and we turn them loose, that they make good decisions from there, right? Scott, Scott's shaking his head. He's going, absolutely. Because once they get 18, I'm an adult. I don't care what you say. I don't care. I, I, you know, I don't know. Some of them act that way. Not all of them. Some of them act that way. But I know this. There is a pulling away for a season where they don't want to hear anything from dad and mom anymore. But, man, if we've sowed the right things in them, they can make really good choices, and we can be very proud of the decisions they make in the direction they're living because they're living for the Lord because of what we've sown in them. Um, if we as parents start letting children decide for themselves before that, we lose that important and that short time that we have to teach them ourselves. Deuteronomy 4, uh, 10 forces, gather the people to me and I will let them hear my, that's capital M, and it's capital M for me, capital M for my. It's the Lord speaking. I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. Our job is to learn of the Lord and to teach our children. That's what we're to do. When your children do something wrong, correct them. When your children do something wrong, correct them. Children don't learn right and wrong if we don't give some boundaries and some correction. Children want to know the boundaries. Amen? Amen. They want to know the boundaries. Discipline and correction show them the boundaries and show them that you love them. You show them your love for them by, by establishing those boundaries. That, a lot of times children that are problem children, you know why they're doing that? They want to know where the boundaries are. Where, where, how far can I go? What is acceptable? And, and so the more we can help them to understand that. So you need to communicate expectations with, with children. Stop, stop making excuses for your child's actions. Make them accountable for what they do. Your kid come home and he's got bad grades because they ain't trying. Hold them accountable to that. Don't say, ah, you just, you know, apple don't fall far from the tree. I struggle with math, so I guess you will too. No, don't do that. You expect the best from your kids. Jesse, you're back there. Did I expect the best from you? What did I, did I expect you just to give your best? Was that the expectation I had? Well, I, I can't see your head. I can't hear it rattling. So, did you, did you ever feel like I put an un, un, unreasonable expectation on you? I didn't say you got to make all A's, did I? I said you got to do the best you can. I told him you got to focus. You got to, because you can do this. I used to tell Jesse, he'd go, I'm not good at school, I'm not smart. I said, No, you are smart. The problem is focus. He didn't, he didn't like certain subjects, so he didn't want to do it. It was just click, click, click on the computer and stuff, get through as quick as I can. But you got to give that expectation. I said, son, you can do this because you're smart. You can. The problem's not your brain. The problem's your effort. Give expectations to your kids. Have higher standards. Don't lower the bar for them. Now, make them realistic. And if it's the best they can do, then praise them for what they, when they've given their best, Okay. Ephesians 6, 4 says, And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training, the training uh, or discipline or nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're to train our children up to, 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 under, to, to love the Lord and know the Lord. Now, I'm going to read a little story for you here that uh, kind of captures this. 
We had the meanest parents in the world. So you, some kids wrote this, okay? We had the meanest parents in the world. While, our, while other kids ate candy for breakfast, we had to have cereal, eggs, and toast. When others had a Pepsi and a Twinkie for lunch, we had to eat sandwiches. And you can guess our parents fixed us dinner. That was different than other kids had too. Our parents insisted on knowing where we were all the time. You'd think we were convicts in a prison. They had to know who our friends were and what we were doing with them. They insisted that if we said we would be gone for an hour, we would be gone for an hour or less. We were ashamed to admit it, but they had the nerve to break the child labor laws by making us work. We had to wash the dishes, make the beds, learn to cook, vacuum the floor, do laundry, and all sorts of cruel jobs. I think they would lay awake at night thinking of more things for us to do. They always insisted on us telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. By the time we were teenagers, teenagers, they could read our minds, and life was really tough. They wouldn't let our friends just honk the horn when they drove up. They had to come up to the door so they could talk, meet them, so they could meet them. Uh, while everyone else could date when they were 12 or 13, we had to wait until we were 18. Because of our parents, we missed out on lots of things other kids experienced. None of us have ever been caught shoplifting, vandalizing others' property, or ever arrested for any crime. We, we, it was all their fault. We never got drunk, took up smoking, stayed out all night, or a million other things other kids did. Sundays were reserved for church, and we never missed once. We knew better than to ask to spend the night with a friend on Saturdays. Now that we have left home, we are all God-fearing, educated, honest adults. We are doing our best to be, uh, to be mean parents, just like our parents were. <laughs> the world just doesn't have enough mean parents anymore. Amen? Amen? We see it different the older we get. You, your job is not to be your, your child's best friend. Your job is to be their parent. Number three is to teach them by example. Parents have incredible influence on their children. And most likely your children live or, or will live by the standards that you live by. Whatever standards you set for them, that's what they're going to live by. 1 Kings 15 verse 26 says, Now Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, uh, became king over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel two years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in his, uh, and in his sin by which he had made Israel sin. There was an, you, you know there was influence there from the father. 1 Kings 22 verse 42. Jehoshaphat, son of Asa, who became king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of, of Israel. And jump down to verse 43 and says, And he walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from them doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The father's influence, the parental influence in the children is, is important. Folks, if you say it, mean it. And if you say it, mean it and do it. If you don't mean it, don't say it. How many of you have been, with somebody, been, been in the grocery store and you hear a parent go, don't do that again, or I'm going to so-and-so. Don't do that again, or I'm going to so-and-so. Eight times later, now they want to scream and holler at the kid. Where eight times they've told the kid, if you do that again, then I'm going to do so-and-so. Well, look, if you don't mean it, don't say it. All you're telling them is you're a liar. You're teaching them you're a liar and you don't mean what you say. Be consistent. It should never be, with we as parents, do as I say. Never. It should be do as I do. That's how it ought to be as parents. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Live your life as a Christian. 
Do your best in everything you, you do. Think about what Jesus would do and try to do your, uh, your best to follow in his footsteps. Teach your children how to live through your examples. I still believe the number one influence in a teenager's life is not their friends, their grand, uh, their, uh, not a friend, not a grandparent, not a pastor, not a youth pastor, not a teacher, but a parent. I still believe that the parent is the teenager's greatest influence. You may think not. You may think they don't listen to me, but I promise you, they listen. They listen. They may have a strange way of listening, like they're not looking at you, or they're not, but they see everything. You just one time conflict with what you say and what you do. I, they notice it. They see it. They see everything. I read where uh, a man named Roger Ingersoll, he was a notorious skeptic and politician in the 1800s, and when he was in his heyday, he would, he would give speeches and stuff and skeptic towards Christ and towards Christianity. And so two college students went to hear him lecture one night. And as they walked down the street after the lecture, one said to the other, well, I guess he knocked the props out from under Christianity, didn't he? The other said, no, I don't think he did. Ingersoll did not explain my mother's life and faith. And until he can explain my mother's life and faith, I will stand by my mother's God. One of the most important things to do in raising your children is to be sure that they come to know God's message of salvation. Amen. It's the most important thing you can do. Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. You have great, 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 great influence. Don't waste it. Pastor Aaron, if you'll come. We're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do this. I, I'm not going to miss an, a, a time for response or reflection, invitation, whatever. Um, this morning, and I invite parents this morning. If you're a parent and you go, oh, I'm not dedicating my children, but you know what? I've heard something this morning that convicts me or challenges me, something that I want to do a better job as a parent, something that I want to, maybe, maybe it's your walk with the Lord. Maybe your walk with the Lord is not what it needs to be. That's the first step. If you want to, if you want to be a godly parent, then you've got to be a godly parent. You know, you're not going to be a godly parent if you, if you haven't, if you haven't, uh, if you, if you if you're not following the Lord yourself, you're not living a godly life. So you need to you need to maybe that's what you need to take care of this morning. Maybe that's what you need to to um, to deal with. Maybe this morning you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, and so we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. Uh, this altar, and I, I share again, this is an altar down here. This is not, these aren't steps. This isn't just a platform. This is an altar. And if God's laid something on your heart this morning, we're going to have a song here in a moment, then I encourage you to come down and pray. Maybe you want to speak with someone. Maybe you want someone to pray with you. We'd be glad to do that, okay? And parents, uh, those that are going to dedicate their children, those that, that are sitting in here this morning, maybe there's something that you really need to give to the Lord today. Maybe there's something you need to get right with Him. Uh, before this dedication time. So I just want to encourage you to do that. Father, I pray that uh, as we move in, into this time now of, of invitation, of, of responding to what you're doing, what you have done, maybe in our hearts through the word. Father, I just pray that you would um, you'd speak clearly to our hearts. And I pray that, Lord, whatever it is you'd have us do, if, it's a, if, it's, if we need to come down to this altar and get something right with you, if we need to lift up our children to you, if we need to pray for a, a daughter or son who have children themselves, and Lord, we want to lift them up, whatever it may be, Lord. Maybe this morning someone needs to come and, and be born again. Someone needs to come put their faith in Jesus this morning. But whatever it is, Lord, I pray we wouldn't sit in the pew unresponsive, but we might step out this morning and respond to what it is you're doing in our hearts. So God, would you bless now, and we'll praise you in Jesus' name I pray.